0: Well, I'm going to um, share some thoughts today from two sections of Scripture. Um, One of them is from Jeremiah chapter 17, and there's going to be four verses there. So if you turn there, and then also the primary text will be Psalm 1, which is six verses. But these two psalms, are, or this psalm and this section in Jeremiah, are really very similar. And they both talk about the contrast of the righteous life and the ungodly life. And it, it just shows the difference, how, how different they are. And that's what I want to bring out today. And, and last December... Um, uh, Andrew spoke out of Psalm 1, but uh, that was a while ago, and I'm going to have a little different emphasis on it. But it's really, these are really wonderful sections. So I'd like to start reading in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. And makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. And then... Psalm 1, and we'll stay primarily in Psalm 1, but I'm going to reference back quite a bit to these four verses in Jeremiah. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what we're looking at here is a contrast in the life of the righteous and in I want to there's three sections here in this psalm. The first two verses really are dealing with where is the interest in the Christian and what is he putting his trust in? Jeremiah tells us in his sections what man puts their trust in. So there's a contrast there. And so let's look, and then, then the middle section, three and four, is really just talking about, uh, it's using a plant that's planted to describe the life of the Christian. And then the last two verses is talking about the end, the contrast of the end of these two lives. So, verse one, how blessed is the man who does not walk, counsel the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So we see some things here that the righteous do not do. First thing he mentions is they don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked. They don't walk in their counsel. Now that doesn't mean you don't go to a mechanic and get some counsel on your car because he's not a Christian. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the way of life, the way they live, the way they walk, the things they value, the things that are important to them are different than the things that are important to the Christian. So the righteous man, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't follow their advice on various issues, moral issues, decision issues that they have to make. That's not where he puts his trust. His trust is in the Lord. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. That is, he doesn't align himself with them. He's not saying, I'm with you on this. <clears throat> That's not what he does. He doesn't go along with their way of life. They have different values. The righteous man or blessed man does not does not go along with that. They may seem to be very nice, but they're not living and many of them are by the way, they're very nice people, but they're not living their life to seek the glory of God primarily. That's not the main thrust of their life, to seek the glory of God. So you're not aligning yourself with them in that regard. It says he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. What's a scoffer? Someone who mocks. So he's not seated in the place of the scoffer. Scoffing at God, scoffing at God's ways, scoffing at God's word, making light of it, scoffing and mocking God's people. You see it all over. It's happening all the time. The word of God, the ways of God, the people of God, mocked by the world. He doesn't sit there. That's what it's saying. We see in these verses, uh, there seems to be a progression. And I've looked up several commentators on this, and they all agreed. There seems to be a progression here. And uh, Andrew brought this out, too, when he went through this. First, you have this listening to what they have to say, walking in their counsel, walking in the counsel of the world. Then you have aligning yourself, standing with them. Being with them, identifying yourself with them. That's your identity. And then pretty soon it degenerates into you're pretty comfortable with it. You're just seated and you're scoffing just like they are. It's interesting. <clears throat> um, Andrew brought up the point that they are comfortable in their sin. See, the Christian can't be comfortable he cannot be comfortable in his sin god's going to convict him the whole if he's really a christian holy spirit's going to convict him he is not going to be able to be comfortable and sit there with them and mock and scoff he can't do it <clears throat> matthew henry puts it this way they are ungodly first casting off the fear of god And living in the neglect of God or living in the neglect of the duties to God that they were created for. Then he says, they come out to be sinners and they break out open rebellion against God. And then he says this little phrase, because they've neglected the things of God, they've neglected God, neglected any interest in God, Omitted that in their life, omissions lead to commissions. And he says, and pretty soon they're sinning, and then they're scoffing, disrespectful to everything about God, religion, make light of sin. It's true, and we need the righteous man, though, doesn't walk that way. He does not walk that way. But Christianity is more than what you don't do. It's some things you do do. And verse 2 brings that up. The Christian's delight in his interest is in the Lord. And so it says he delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the word of God. It's more than a negative. <clears throat> the word of God to the Lord, or to the Christian, the word of the Lord is not burdensome; it's something He delights in. He enjoys it. God has put that in Him. That's who He or She is. <clears throat> and then it says another thing about what He does: is He meditates on the law of God, uh, meditates on His law day and night, meditating. Thinking about it. You're just thinking about it. Uh, One of the uh, commentators put it this way. It's an intimate acquaintance with the word of God. Intimate. It's personal. Very close. He takes the word with him. Whenever he goes, he takes it with him. He doesn't just read it, lay it down, and go live his life. No, he takes it with him. He ponders it. He thinks about it. It's like for the Christian, the word of God is like a road map. It's a road map to life. So when you get lost, you're not certain about something. What do you do? You turn to the word of God. It accompanies him wherever he goes, whether he's at the job, school, at home, at church, wherever he goes, it accompanies him. He's meditating, you see. He's taking it in. It's his point of reference when it comes time to making decisions. It's his counselor in his relationships with others. It's his comforter in very difficult times. It's where he finds comfort when there's real trials and difficulties, he delights in it. That's what the scripture said. He delights in it. Here's another thing Matthew Henry said about this. Thought was really good. Because a godly man submits to the guidance of the word of God, that's what keeps him out of the way of the ungodly and fortifies them against temptation. You know, a person who's trusting in, obeying the word of God, as I think it was John Newton in Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. For the Christian, there's been many dangers that have been avoided because you've obeyed the word of God. There's been many temptations that have been averted because you simply obeyed what God said and you weren't led down a path that would lead to temptation and sin and ultimately destroy you because he listened to the word of God. Psalm 17:4 says the same thing. <clears throat> By the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violence. By the word of the Lord's lips, his word, he's kept from the path of the violence. Lord keeps him, keeps him off that path. This is what Jeremiah seventeen seven says about that man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. his trust is in God, it's in the Lord. You know, it is one thing to say I'm trusting God. It's a totally different thing to say I trust God. I am trusting in God, but I trust God. In other words, I work it out daily. I trust what God says about things. I trust that. He's faithful. He's true. I trust him in these situations of my life. I trust him. It may be extremely difficult time, but I know I can trust God. I can submit to God, commit my way to the Lord, and trust him that he's going to direct me, even if it's in a difficult time. <clears throat> but the contrast of that is the man who trusts in himself, not in God. And you see that in Jeremiah 17:5. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And then he says this. One little phrase, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Lost world is trusting in themselves or some other mankind, something in the flesh. That's where they're putting their trust. You can guarantee it. That's where their trust is. Many people, it's in themselves, their own self-righteousness. That's where their trust is. <clears throat> but this is a frightening thing to think. The man who puts his trust in man, his heart, it says, turns away from the Lord, His heart turns away. That's a scary thing to think. That your heart turns away. But what you see in this section is it's a heart issue. See, Christianity is a heart issue. Where's your heart? That's the issue. It's not, the, it's not an external religion. It's where's your heart? And his heart turns away from the Lord. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, that section on false prophets, says many will, the Lord says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these miracles and cast out demons, all these things in your name? You know what he says? Depart from me. I never knew you. What's he doing? They've turned their heart from him. He's turned his face from them. Turned away from them. That's a scary place to be when it comes time to stand before God, to have God turn his eyes away from you. So it's a warning. It's a warning to Those that are not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in something else. Well, then we get down to verses 3 and 4, which is really the thing I really want you to get a hold of here, because this is such an encouragement. It's meant to be an encouragement to the believer. God is making some incredible promises here, if you're a Christian. Let's read let's read verse 3 and then Jeremiah 17:8 I'll read to you. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers. For he will be like a tree this is Jeremiah 17:8. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious when the drought comes nor cease to yield fruit. <clears throat> so this is you if you're a Christian. This is what the Lord's saying to you if you're a Christian. The blessed person, the blessed man, is described as a tree planted. A tree planted. It's not just some old tree, some wild tree. It's been planted. Who's it been planted by? Been planted by the Lord. It's a one. It's a tree that's been chosen and planted by the Lord. You see this thought come out in a um, song we sing often, uh, Isaiah 61.3. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So God has, if you're a Christian, God's planted you. <clears throat> Notice where he's planted you. It's planted you by streams of water. You know, whenever we, uh, we go out there quite often to Arizona to see relatives, <clears throat> but when you're driving through these vast areas of a lot of flat land and desert, um, you'll just see a lot of just scrubby brush and a lot of sand. But off in the distance, sometimes you can see this green, And it's trees. And as you approach those trees, that green, you begin to realize there's a stream of water running there. We have to cross, when we go uh, in New Mexico, we have to cross the Rio Grande in one section. And you'll see that Rio Grande Valley, it's just, there's all kinds of growth. But the desert above it is just bleak, barren. Well, You're planted by water. You're planted by streams of water by the Lord, and he's made a promise. He said, you will be fruitful. This tree is going to yield fruit in its season. That's an amazing thing. There's a promise that if you're a Christian, every Christian is going to bear fruit. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but he is. And he promises, uh, when he describes his bearing a fruit, <clears throat> Jeremiah says that this tree extends its roots deep into the ground. It's near the water level. It goes down, so it's getting that nutrition from the water. <clears throat> so he says, when the heat comes... You don't have to be worried about that because your leaf is going to still be green. That's what Jeremiah says. Not worrying about that. In other words, when trials come, when the heat comes, you don't have to be anxious or worried about that. That's what he's bringing out. And every Christian will experience the heat of trials in their life. He also mentions that there's seasons of drought that come, but not to worry about the seasons of drought, why? Your roots are down, down near the water. You're drawing that moisture and nutrients in and you're gonna bear fruit even in times of drought. How in the world can that be? The Lord has promised that for the Christian. Even in dry times, you're going to be a fruit bearer because of your root system rooted deep by that stream. And we'll talk about that stream. It comes up in other places in the scripture, The stream. I'll just mention a couple. In uh, Psalm 46, we've sung this before. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, his, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. <clears throat> There's three things in here I thought that were really good. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. <clears throat> the holy dwelling place. Where does God dwell? Does he dwell in a holy dwelling place? Where does God dwell? He dwells in the heart of every believer. And see, this, those streams make his heart just rejoice because there's some things that are point, I'll mention here. God is in the midst of the believer. God is there. And he's not just there. It says, God is in the midst of her and she will not be moved. He will help her when the morning dawns. So you've got this picture of God in the midst helping, helping the believer and stability she won't be moved there's stability in the christian's life you think about the world how many people you see that there's may outwardly look good but there's there's they're unstable in their life lives unstable then as ezekiel has a wonderful section i'm not going to read you the whole thing it's in ezekiel 47 verse 12 This is worth reading. This is a vision that Ezekiel has of the stream running from the temple. It's described this way in verse 12. By the river on its banks on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. And their fruit will not fail. Sound like a familiar strand here. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for uh, for healing. Leaves will not wither Fruit will not fail. Spurgeon says this. But the man who delights in God's word, being taught by it, brings forth patience in the time of suffering, faith in the day of trial, and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. Not simply shall his fruit be preserved, but also his leaf. He shall neither lose, this was good, this was so encouraging to me. He shall neither lose his beauty or his fruitfulness. Now, I want to tell you something, because being as I am the oldest member in this group here, um, it is encouraging that the Lord says, you will bear fruit even in your old age you can still bear fruit you may not look as good as you once did but there's an inner beauty he's talking not talking about externals here our whole all of us our bodies are withering some faster than others but they're withering and we don't look as good as we used to look but listen in the innermost being, Paul put it this way, the, though the outer man is perishing, the inner man being renewed day by day. There's an inner beauty in a Christian as they walk with God that just keeps getting brighter and brighter. And the reason is Christ's image is being perfected more and more in you. So it's wonderful. It's a wonderful picture. <clears throat> um <clears throat> they will bear every month because bear fruit every month because the water flows from the sanctuary this special water that you've been planted by the stream that water is flowing from god himself that's why the promise is so true it's not dependent on your strength it's dependent on God's inflow to you. This is what um, <clears throat> John, the Lord said in uh, John 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is pictured here in Ezekiel as a stream of water flowing from the throne. And it's flowing, and that's what you're rooted into, the ground, and you're getting that nourishment from the stream, the Holy Spirit. You may feel like you're not bearing fruit right now, but God is working in you. And in the right season, fruit will become evident. The life of God in you Will produce fruit even if you aren't seeing it. And Charles Spurgeon had just a, a very wonderful comment on this. He said, he's talking about Psalm 1, but it's the same, same point here. Blessed is the man who hath such a promise as this. You remember how Psalm 1 starts? Oh, how blessed is the man! Well, that's what Spurgeon says. Blessed is the man who has such a promise as this. But we must not always estimate the fulfillment of a promise. Uh, wait a second, I lost my place. Must not uh, We must not always estimate the fulfillment of a promise by our own eyesight. I mean, you can't see it sometimes because you're in a trial. You're going through a dark time. Depression, trials in your family, and it's hard to see clearly when you're in that state. So he says, don't estimate the fulfillment of the promise by what you see. For though we know our interest in the promise, yeah, we've heard it, we know about it. Yet we are so tried and troubled that the sight sees the very reverse of what the promise tells now he says this. You have to think about this. Our worst things are often our best things. Now he's talking about your perceived worst things. Our worst things are often the best things. As there is a curse wrapped up in the, in the wicked's mercies, so there are blessings concealed in the righteous man's crosses, losses, and sorrows. There's a blessing wrapped up in that. The trials of the saint are a divine husbandry by which he grows and brings forth abundant fruit. And you, you just can't help but think about that section in John 15 where Jesus said, every branch in me that bears, does not bear fruit, I take it away. Uh, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So that pruning process or trials for us are painful sometimes. But don't lose sight of the purpose of it. It's so that you'll be more fruitful God's working in you. He's trying to conform you. He is conforming you. He's not trying. He is conforming you to the image of Christ. And though those trials be ever so painful, there's a, there's a reason behind why the Lord's doing this. He's shaping you. He's pruning you so that in the next season, you're going to be more fruitful. There's going to be more fruit evident. And then this last section I thought was good by an um, Ezekiel. It says, um, <clears throat> there will be fruit for food and leaves for healing. This is what the Lord's promise for the believer. Spiritual food, nutrition, spiritual healing. That's, that's a promise from the Lord. He's going to feed you. He's going to heal you. Ultimately, he's going to heal you. <clears throat> verse 4 is stark, in it's how brief it is. It says, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. Everything that he has said about the righteous, about the Christian, he says, that's not so for the ungodly. It's not, none of that is true for the ungodly. <clears throat> They're like chaff. What is chaff? It's waste off of the crop. It's worthless. It's burned. It's thrown out. <clears throat> this is what Matt uh, says in Matthew His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, <clears throat> and he will gather his wheat to the barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Chaff. That's what he compares it to. Think of that contrast. Fruitful tree. Always bearing prospering chaff thrown out. Here's how Jeremiah contrasts it. For he will be like a bush in the desert. And will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. It's like a bush in the desert, like those desert bushes I was talking to you about. Very shallow root system. It runs along, so strong winds gust and blow them. We were going out there a couple years ago, and there were some extremely strong winds. and I mean, tumbleweeds were attacking our car. You're going down the highway. When I got to Tucson, I had to stop and clean tumbleweeds out of the grill. And it actually had broken the grill in in, uh, one spot. But it's just that the picture of instability. Do you see that, that contrast? Tree rooted deep, roots deep by the stream. Just these tumbleweeds tossed about by the wind. No stability. no prosperity either. Now you look at the lost world and they look like they have some prosperity. They may be sitting in the lap of luxury, but inside, that's not the way they are. That is not the way they are. Outwardly, they may appear that way, but inwardly, they're a wasteland. It says here, describes as a land of salt without inhabitant referring to the barrenness and isolation of a person outside of Christ. You may not think they're isolated because they're surrounded by people, but you know, some of the loneliest people in the world live in cities. People everywhere, but they're alone. <clears throat> I um, recently, and some of you may have seen this, but I recently watched a video by Dennis Prager. It was very interesting. It was just short five minute, six minute video. And in this video he was discussing <clears throat> how people are concerned about how unhappy and lonely young people are today and how the suicide rates of young people has just escalated through the roof. And um, so he lists some reasons why, and I, I'm not putting all of them, but he lists some reasons why some of the experts feel that's true. And some of these, I'm sure, are true to some extent. <clears throat> he They listed drugs, so substance abuse. Um, social media, because although you're out there all the time, are you developing meaningful relationships? or you just on the social media spouting things off. <clears throat> but that was one of the things they listed. Here's one that I know is real. Anxiety about the future, about the future of the world, about the future of your life. College students, that's, that's a really big one when you graduate, what am I gonna do? And especially if the job market's not there. So that was another thing he mentioned. And then he mentioned loneliness. That's something that the people, the experts said is really a factor in this suicide. And the video cites lack of values and meaning for the main reason lack of values and meaning. Now where do you get values and meaning? You get it from God. But if you've excluded God out of everything, God's irrelevant. Then what you have is you have young people growing up with no sense of where do you get your, what do you have, where do you get meaning? you we need to realize you were created by God for God that's, that's it you were created by God and God has a purpose for that you were created for him and as long as you are trying to the very thing you are created for you're trying to get rid of you're not going to have value and meaning, you're going to see futility and hopelessness, which leads to the logical conclusion of that is suicide. What, what am I here for? What does it matter? Well, it matters greatly because you are created in the image of God and you were created for him. <clears throat> you can see how this just fits in with what Jeremiah says, that they're barren wasteland. When it comes to that, well, then I need to wrap this up, but the psalmist contrasts the end of the righteous and the end of the wicked. Verse 5 in Psalm 1 Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We know that everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of God. But Spurgeon says what this means here is they shall stand there to be judged but not acquitted. So they're going to stand, he says, to be judged but not acquitted. Another commentator said when they come to be judged, they shall be condemned. They shall have nothing to plead their case. You see, for the Christian... The judgment seat of Christ isn't a fearful thing because we have an advocate for us <clears throat> who died in what David said, died, took our sins, died in our place. But this idea of standing, Psalm five says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, O Lord. They won't stand. You hate all who do iniquity. And Malachi talks about <clears throat> distinguishing between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not serve him, saying that God will distinguish. So <clears throat> we see that um, that's, there is a judgment day coming and we're going to stand and the wicked are not going to be able to face the Lord he's going to turn his face away from them like we mentioned earlier second part of that verse is nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous and again I'm quoting a Spurgeon because he was so good on this all our congregations upon earth are mixed there are tares that grow in the same furrows as the wheat saints mixed with sinners as dross mixes with gold but there is a day coming when the tares will be removed and be burned up and that's the final day so um, then he goes on to say for the lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish The Lord knows your way. Matthew Henry says, he chose your way. He put you in the way. He's with you in the way. He's leading you in the way. So he knows your way. He knows it. But the wicked, he turns away from. He knows your way intimately. The wicked, he turns away from. So let me just um, bring this to a wrap-up here. But, you know, when you think about this, isn't this amazing that you can just contrast the life of a person who trusts in God and those who trust in something else? And you have to ask yourself the question, Why would anybody choose to be spiritually barren when it's possible to have all this blessing from the Lord on your life? But people do. People turn away from the Lord. So if you are one that doesn't know the Lord, I plead with you. Turn to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. And you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It's amazing. It doesn't matter what stage of life. You can be an old codger and the Lord can still plant you like a new plant. Or you can be a young person who doesn't have a real grasp of what all this means. But you know, I want to I want to follow God. I don't want to go this way of the wilderness. I want to follow God and have his blessings on my life. Here I'm going to quote you this um, song that we sing out of Isaiah. But I want you to listen to the verses of Um, It's really good when you look at the exchange here he gives. He gave me beauty for ashes. He gave me oil of joy for mourning. He gave me a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness that we might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for us, and that he would be glorified. That's the purpose. God has your best interest in mind, but he has his glory in mind also. And he's able to do that without any sense of wrongness. Receive glory from lives that were wrecked, And he's established in the truth, planted them, and they're fruit bearing now in their life, and they will continue to be fruit bearing the rest of their lives if they're planted. It's incredible to think about. Doesn't matter whether you're bound in a wheelchair. I'm thinking of Johnny Erickson, my goodness. Talk about fruit, personal fruit. We're not talking about ministry fruit. We're talking about personal fruit. Insights she has. Faith that she has to trust God. That's that's what he's promised for you. Be a tree planted by the living waters. Let's pray. Father, we just marvel at your precious promise to people who don't deserve it. You've been so, so abundantly, overabundantly good to us. These promises of fruitfulness when we're going through hard times, promise of the drought isn't going to affect the fruit that you're going to bring forth in the life. It's all about you, Lord. It's you Your Holy Spirit flowing through us and producing fruit in us to conform us to look more like you in the inner man being transformed day by day and renewed. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in that, to really think upon you, think about what you've promised for us. We want to confess we love you today. We ask that you would increase our love for you, our fervency for you, our desire to delight more in your word and feed on you. Help us, pray in Christ's name. Amen.